welcome to Shot Callers. Today I'm here with Mark Crawley. He's a leadership consultant, professional speaker, and a best-selling author of Lead from the Heart. Um, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. I'm honored, Dennis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, we, we unofficially met a few years ago when we worked on Stories of Perseverance together, and we really appreciate you giving your insight on that. But today we're going to be focusing on leadership, which uh, interests me quite a bit because um, I always need help in the leadership aspect. So I'm ready to pick your brain and kind of hear your story of how you got from where you were through the corporate world to, to how you're helping others with leadership now and then, and then how the book has impacted it. We'll get to that as well. Wow, I'm excited. This sounds fun. So where, where, where did it start from? How did, how did you get from the good, build your way up through the corporate world? And can we go through that first? Kind of hear your sure. Um, tell me what you'd like to know specifically. Uh, well, so uh, obviously you were uh, you built your way up into leadership through the regular yeah, um, out in the field, so to speak, and learned the hard way, the right and the wrongs. And I kind of want to go through how that path led you to getting to where you're now coaching and consulting people and, and lecturing on leading and, and true leadership, because I think we've fell, fallen so far off the beaten path within my, you know, I see it within my company trying to constantly improve on leadership. That's why I love your book and it resonated so much with me. And, and, you know, we stick to those old school styles and hope those methods will still work. And, you know, when you see it within your own company, it's bad, but then you see it in other companies and you think, wow, it's really bad. <laughs> so, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's an interesting thing you just said, because I think sometimes that that mindset of, well, you know, things aren't that good here, but God, they're really bad over there, <laughs> you know? And so we're better off than they are, so we don't need to change. Right, yeah. We, I, yeah, we, yeah, we're not know, at the bottom of the barrel, so we got to right. go you know, we're, we're B minus, but they're a D, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. There you go. You know, that's, so we don't need to change. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think this is, you know, I'm going to get to your question in a second here. Um, it, it, it's so true that we just are so resistant to change, to truly embracing change, because oftentimes it's like we got where we got to with a certain degree of success, right? Yep. And when somebody says, well, you know, we really need to change, they're like, well, then that kind of threatens my ability to be successful going forward, right? right because you're making me change and do something differently. And I'm not as comfortable with that, but I'm comfortable with the way I do it. So we just by default, keep passing on the same, right? And yeah, we're not absolutely. doing anybody any favors. We're not really getting the results that we want or need. People aren't really happy, but it's like, yeah, but this is all I know. And I don't really, so it's just this vicious circle. So, so we're here, 20 years ago, right? So it's got to work now. <laughs> Right? Yeah. I mean, it, exactly. It's like, well, this is the way we've done it. I mean, that sounds like a cliche, but that's the language. That's the thinking process. Right. Very often. It's like, well, you know, and day to day, you know, it's like a diet. You make a decision and you go, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And then dessert comes and you go, today I'm going to have the dessert. Yeah, yeah. And still, you know, you still have that commitment to making the, 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 the 10 pound loss. 
But then the next day you have that same decision. Do I have the dessert? And you go, I'm only making that decision today. And yes, that dessert looks delicious, so I'm going to have it. And we just keep passing it on and passing it on and not really changing. Right. And so what it really requires in my sense is that organizations need to say, these are the behaviors that we're looking for. These are the behaviors that we're rewarding. If you want to stay a manager, you're going to have to exhibit these. If you don't, you're not going to succeed. There has to be that kind of real clear, clarity in terms of rewards and recognition and even if you get to keep your job. So with that, so here's my story is, and I won't go into this too deeply, but I had a, uh, a rather, and I, you know the story because it's the preface of my book, but I was, my mom died when I was very young. I was raised by a psychologically and emotionally abusive father. And I can't even, you know, I don't want to take up all of our time talking about my father's influence, but what he was really determined to do, Dennis, was to cripple me in every aspect. Okay. He wanted my self-esteem to be so depleted. And it's an evil kind of mentality, and I've forgiven him for it. You know, he passed away, he never said he was sorry. He kicked me out of the house right after I graduated from high school with no financial support, emotional support. I only saw him a couple of times at the hospital, you know, 15 years later, and uh, never really had any other relationship with him. And so what ended up happening for me is that when I started managing people, um, so I, I went to college, I made my way through college. It was a very, it was a brutal experience. I had, you know, a, a very, um, deep sense of insecurity about myself, about my abilities. The good thing was that other people saw things in me and kept moving me along. And so I ended up graduating from college. And when I got into, I got onto a management training program and, I don't know what they saw in me, but they continued to just promote me and give me these opportunities. And my career in financial services just took off. They kept giving me bigger and bigger jobs. And, you know, I was always like, they're going to find out, like, I'm not that guy here, you know, <laughs> right. Very deep insecurity based on what I was taught. And, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. You're going to be a complete failure. That's what my father drilled into me. And so it was sort of this inconsistency of I'm hearing that voice, but then I'm seeing what other people are seeing in me. And so I was inspired by what I was hearing. Like I could actually be that person and not the person that I was drilled in, you know, foundationally through my upbringing that that's who I was. But what I realized, and it wasn't until literally 20 years later from the time that I started to a time I had hired this woman named Cecilia and literally 20 years after I hired her and she worked for me in three different organizations, banking consolidated and we ended up going from one place to another. And so she said, you, you know, you, you manage people very differently, right? You know, you get results from people in a very different way. And I think the light bulb had gone on inside of me, but I hadn't really put the pieces together. Right. And what I said to her was, I need to sit down with you and have you tell me what it is that I do differently. And she goes, it should be obvious. Just look at everybody who's your peer. Nobody's managing people like you. Everybody's managing with fear and intimidation and abusiveness and get the numbers or you're out, fear, all of that. And I was doing it through, you know, inspiration and love and care and support. And right. so when she started laying this out, I was like, 
oh my goodness, like I honestly hadn't really had that epiphany that I was leading in a different way. I think I just took for granted that I'm getting the results, so everybody must be leading this way. I wasn't looking outside my lane to see right. how people were driving it. But then I realized, oh my goodness, this had everything to do with how I was raised. So what ended up happening was when I started managing people unconsciously, completely unconsciously, I made a decision to give people what I always wanted and never had. I wanted safety. I wanted somebody to saw something in me and told me. I wanted trust. I didn't want people going home on a Friday night not knowing where they stood. Most of the time, I wanted them to know that I was grateful that I hired them, that they're doing great work and I appreciate them greatly. I wanted to teach them and coach them and grow them and see them maximize their full potential. And all of that was what I didn't get growing up. And what happened was, is that everywhere I went, the reason that I was so successful wasn't was because I was such a brilliant leader. It was because I was a caring leader. It was because they weren't getting this anywhere else and we don't outgrow it. You know, we think, oh, you know, he's out of college now. He doesn't need all that. We never outgrow needing this. And so everywhere I went, I turned these teams around and did extraordinary work. These teams did extraordinary work and it didn't matter what their age was, male or female, nationality. I finally realized this is a human thing. This is, this is what we all need. And so as a result of that, um, once she told me that, I started to refine the ideas. I tried different things with my team to see like, would this work better? Never thinking that I was gonna end up writing a book, only just to perfect what was really working greatly for me. And uh, the organization that I was working for, I, it gave me this big job. I was the national sales manager for investment products. We had my first year, I had never sold a stock in my life, but they said, you're the guy, we want you to go in there and run that team. And we had record revenue, record profit. I was named leader of the year. And then the bank was sold the next year. And I stayed with the new company for about six months. And I was so repelled by how they were managing people. I said, I gotta go. Yeah. So I left and then I made the decision to write and in the process of writing the book, Dennis, that's where I found all of this profound validation for everything that I was doing, which led me to call it Lead from the Heart because it's all about the heart, something that we don't really think about much. And I'm going to turn it back over to you so you can dig into that. But that's how I learned to do it. And that's what you know, put me on this path that I'm on today. Well, you know, I love everything about that. First of all, the silver lining of you know, taking an experience that really was pretty tragic for you throughout your lifetime and turning around and it, you know, everything happens for a reason and turns around and silver lining wise, you're a great manager and leader because of it, because of using your heart for it. That's just, I would love for you to explain the book from the aspect of not needing that and leading from the heart versus uh, the norm, so to speak, out there. Well, I think... Start with the idea that why would we manage with why would why would we manage people with fear and intimidation, and it it's really predicated on a very ancient idea that people don't want to work right and so or especially that they won't work as hard. We we when I was in financial banking when I was on the banking side, we hired a medical doctor who created a company, and I don't even mind, it's called Cohen Brown. 
Okay. And they were one of the largest training companies in the United States for financial institutions. They went from bank to bank. And the premise was this, you as a manager can't make people work as hard as we can make them work. And it was micromanagement to the 10th degree. You know, people had to make commitments Monday morning. What are you going to do? And then Wednesday, check in. How are you doing? How close are you? Don't, don't forget you made a commitment. And then Friday was, did you hit it or not? And then you get scolding on the conference call with everyone if you didn't do it. And then Monday morning, start all over again. And it drives results in the short term because people respond to that fear. But long term, it's the most debilitating, destructive thing that you can do. So, but because it lifted performance so quickly, they go hire this company and pay them all this money to come in and just manage people with fear and intimidation and they get the results. So everybody's like, yeah, that was a brilliant decision. And nobody is looking to see how sustainable this is. Right. So the truth is people want to work. They want to work. We want to, like, we want to be fulfilled by the work that we do. We want meaning, we want purpose, and this is where we find it. And so, but we don't trust ourselves. So I have to resort to fear. So let's say, for example, I need you to do $100,000 a month in sales of something, right? A widget. Okay. And you're at, you know, 45,000 at three quarter mark, you know, so there's only one week and you've got to do, you know, basically 50, 50, more than 50% of your goal in the last week. So we say, can I convey to Dennis the importance of hitting that goal and sitting down with him and building a strategy to get as close to that goal as possible? Or do I just not trust that I can have that influence on him and then go, look, man, if you don't hit this number, you and I are going to be talking the day after. And that conversation is not going to be pretty. And it could be your job. Do you understand? So now all of a sudden you shut down all the positive, you know, I want to get there. I know what my goal is. This is important to me. It's not like I haven't been working. I have something, you know, so you just shut people down because we don't believe in ourselves well enough. But the thing is, is that fear does work. And so it's easy. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just an easy way to go about doing it. It's just destructive. It harms people. It's why more people are quitting jobs in America and have been for the last 18 months, every single month because people are like, I can't live like this. I don't want to live like this. Um, I don't want to be managed this way. I don't and, want to hate my life. <laughs> because I don't want to hate my life because I hate my job. Completely. And, and so, you know, the thing is, is that I'll lay this out. Work is hard anyway, right? So if you just, right, no matter what your job is, it's hard. You got to get up in the morning. You got to get yourself dressed. You got to get in the car or a train or a bus or whatever it is. You, you get into work and there's meetings and there's expectations and there's difficult people. And then there's customers and then there's obligations in terms of what you have to get done. So then we overlay it with fear and intimidation and we just make it, we make that environment even worse. And so I, I'm saying the heart in the, 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 the kindness, the support, the, you know, the, the encouragement, these kinds of things independently might sound soft to somebody, but they're a necessary offset. They make such a difference to people that people are like, thank you. I'm so grateful that, you know, you didn't like, I, I know I missed my goal last month, but I've been here for 18 years and I've only missed it twice in 18 years. You're not going to come in and go, I need to see you. 
know, you have the benefit of the doubt. People are like, thank you for not like beating me up over that. I know where I stand. I know what I have to do. And we're also, it's interesting, but we're hardwired to reciprocate. So if you're generous with me, my inclination is to be generous with you, right? So I'll give you an example. So I come to your house. I live next door. And I go, hey, Dennis, my wife was making brownies for a party. We ended up with many more than we needed. And I thought of you. I know you love brownies. So I brought you a dozen. So here we go. So I hand you the plate. So think about yourself, but also think about other people and the question I'm going to ask you. So I hand you this plate of brownies. What's the first thought that goes into your mind? Well, I would have to say, what a great guy. What a, what a beautiful thought that you, you think of me when I needed brownies. <laughs> All right, what's the second thought, if there second, is a second thought? Second thought, I, I wonder what I'm going to do for him. Why? Because you gave me brownies and you exactly. thought of me. But you could just accept the brownies and say, thank you, have a good night. But this goes back to, literally, this goes back to our caveman days where if I had a piece of meat and you didn't have one, I would give you a piece of meat to save you, to keep you alive, right? But the minute you had meat, there was sort of this understood obligation that, hey, here's, here's some meat for you, Mark, to pay you back. And so because of this, it's genetically imbued in us to reciprocate. So you would say, thank you, Mark. Can I get you a glass of wine? You know, come in, I just made some popcorn or, you know, and, but it almost feels like a hot potato, like, like, you know, here, you know, do, you know, you just want to give them something. So much reciprocity there from the It is, that's the word, reciprocity. And so if I'm supportive of you, if you know you can trust me, if I sit down with you and help you plan out your career and say, let's figure out these classes you might want to take or, you know, do some working with, you know, working on some projects that might grow your skills to help you get to the next level. Or if I acknowledge you and appreciate you in a meeting, you're going to feel that here. And the inclination is going to be, I'm going to work my ass off for this guy because he cares that much about me. And that's how it works want to do it for the person because they they were so they were so good to me i want to hit that goal for mark because exactly next time i'm hitting that goal for mark because they'll do, they'll do what it takes yeah they'll do what it takes you know i used to tell the managers you know when i was managing you know the retail bank branches where you go get checking accounts and loans i had a bunch of those reporting to me and i used to tell my managers you know i don't care when you get into work i don't care when you come home these are the goals these are the expectations if you meet these, that's all I really care about. Now, keep in mind, they have a whole staff of people. So if they're managing a branch and they don't show up till 10 o'clock every day, their people aren't going to be very happy and that's going to translate into performance. So I don't have to worry that they're going to show up and be there because they, right? So, right, absolutely. But yeah. I don't need to go. I need you in there at eight o'clock, you know, everybody. So if they have, you know, want to take their kids to school or go to an event, you know, whatever, I'm not going to get into that. What I'm going to do is to hold people accountable and reward them when they get, when they get there. Yeah. And by simply trusting and rewarding and also training so you know you have people capable of doing the job, right? right? It's not like you're just putting anybody in there. You're putting in highly motivated people. They're getting an unbelievable performance. They're feeling great because it's their success, not mine. I'm not the one who told them, be here. This is what you have to do. This is how I need five of these and 10 of these. And you need to call this number of customers. I'm not getting into that. You figure all that out. 
Yep. And that's so deeply satisfying for people because they know that they did it. But I'm also having great influence in it because they know they're working for a boss who trusts them, validates them, grows them, teaches them, you know, that they don't feel vulnerable if they, you know, like you make one mistake, I'm not going to pick up the phone and go, well, tell me what you did there. You know, it's like, I got it. I see what you did. Let's move on. Let's learn from it. Those kinds of things. When anybody ever did that to me, I was like, oh man, I just want to reward them. I, I can't wait to reward them with yeah. doing something great. Yeah. So people that managed me this way, very few, sadly, but those that did got the best performance from me. A couple other things I want to touch on, and I know you probably have some other things to add. I love the uh, part on um, uh, the antitoxins in your book on page 60, hire people with the heart, um, heart to heart, empower the heart, and inspire the heart, um, and then the applications. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to people as far as hiring with the heart? You know, um, I think there's, there's basically what I, some, I don't know how often this happens, but you know, I, I always think, Oh, people know what I know. And then I go into work businesses and I realize they don't know what I know. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think sometimes that we just, you know, we, we, we make the mistake of just filling a position without really thinking through whether this is the best possible person for it. So having a standard where you say, I'm not convinced that, you know, if I have 10 people and I interview all 10 and none of the 10 are a fit, you know, most managers are going to go, I'm going to take the best of the 10 and just move on. And they don't realize that they've just locked down their first baseman for the rest of the year. And if their first baseman can't field the position or makes a lot of errors or can't hit, you know, that's going to affect the whole team performance. So better, better than to wait and keep trying or to grow somebody into a position that, you know, there's all, there are other alternatives. So having a high standard and not buckling is, is, is one. Um, the other is, is that, we have this very, very ego-driven hiring process, which is, so Dennis, tell me why you'd like to work for Mark Crowley, you know, Enterprises. Oh, uh, well, you know, um, I just hear great things about Mark Crowley Enterprises, and I think I'd be a great asset. Um, okay, well, um, thank you, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. And so I'm, I'm going to interview you. I'm never asking you, why do you think you want to work here? Like, what would make you happy? And so we think it's a one-way street. It's like, I, I'm in control. You're sitting across from me in a lower seat, you know, and I'm just fucking on you, you know, right? Yeah. And no, that's so, a great point. So I think, you know, what, what I used to do is, so it's talent and heart. I want to see that they're, they have the talent for the job, but I also want to know and see, do they have their heart in this job? You know, why do you want to do this specific kind of work? Like, what is it about this would make you happy? Because we can find people who can do the job. It's just who's going to put their heart into it. That, that takes extra time. And part of what I used to do was to have people interview. So, Dennis, you've done really well with my interview with you. Now I want to introduce you to some people who work for me. I want you to meet with people who are actually doing the job that I'm considering you for. And so go meet with them. And what they're doing is they're interviewing you and just like you're interviewing them. So they're telling you about the job and they're like, you know, Mark can be a jerk sometimes and he has these, he has these high demands and, you know, this is how we work around, you know, so they're giving, they're giving their spiel, but then they're 
what, what do you do? How do you, how'd you get into this? All that kind of stuff. So they're coming back to me, those managers and saying, you know, we like Dennis, right? And then I come back to you and I go, well, you spent some time with them. Do you still want to be here? Do you, right? Yeah, you that's perfect. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I've had people, you know, just like, you know, well, let me think about it. And then you never hear from them. And I'm, I'm like, better that happened. Right. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's very perfect. It's not just me being in control of whether you get hired or not. It's me making sure that when you get here, that you're going to be happy here. And all, unfortunately, I'll just use this as a, you know, a glaring example. But if part of your responsibilities are to clean the toilets, it's absolutely unfair to hire somebody and let them come and start the job and then say, oh, by the way, you're in charge of keeping the toilets clean. Okay, it, yeah. Like trust, and you get the idea. That's yeah, a metaphor, absolutely. right? But it, it, you know, if, if you're expected to work every other weekend or, you know, if there's just some, you know, whatever it is, right? Whatever the, the requirement is that you know going in that some people are gonna go, you know what, I don't think I can do that. You know, it's, it, it's really, it's managerial malpractice not to share it, but it's, it destroys trust because when people get there, they're like, what else didn't you tell me? Right. What else are you hiding from me? Right. Yeah. So better to say, Hey, you know, if there's, you know, there's a lot of great things that come with this job, but you will also, the expectation is, is that, you know, once a week you have to clean the toilets and I want you to think about whether or not you're okay with that. Um, and then if you say, yeah, I'm okay with that, then, you're up, then you're good, right? Yeah. So it's 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 a it's a little bit more of a complicated process. It shouldn't be a mill. It should be very thoughtfully cultivating a team of people. And the reason that you want these other people to interview them is you want them to feel like like if I hire you and they don't like you, just because I like you doesn't mean you're going to interrelate well with the team. Right. I used to pick like seasoned star managers, people who did this job inside and out. And they had an intuitive understanding of who's going to do well in this job. And they could pick out people and say, that person's not going to be a fit here. And I trusted that. Yeah. You know, it's like if they're willing to make that commitment, then I wasn't going to take that risk because right. if I made the decision to hire them and they came in and they were difficult to work with, then I get the, you know, yeah. I told you, you know, yeah. so got to trust the feedback if you're going to give them the position. But then the other thing that happens is, is that if you hire people that they want and that they think are going to be good, if they get into trouble, like if they come in in their first month and they're struggling, who goes to their aid? The people that hired them because they want to see them succeed. Right. Because it was their recommendation. Yeah. Much more, much more, you know, organic and collaborative process and thoughtful process than just trying to get somebody into the job. Wow, that's, that's an amazing process doing it like that. I never thought of it that way. That's great. Yeah, so, wow, yeah, effective for sure. Um, well, do you have anything else, Mark, that you wanna, I know we didn't, you know, we, we're gonna have to have a part two sometime because you have ah. great information. And I think leadership is something that is such an important topic that um, people fly by. Um, so we, I, like I said, we'll have to have a part two sometime and do it again. Uh, anything you want to add about the book or anything that I'll you just, see out I'll there? Just, I'll just say this, Dennis, that when um, 
I'm hoping that there's at least one cynical person, you know, listening to all of this and going, yeah, 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 heart, heart, heart. Um, I hired a woman, a marketing consultant for authors. So remember, I had no platform. Nobody knew who I was. I was, hadn't written in a book before. I was in financial services. And so I needed a leg up, you know, some advice on how to get my word out and how people learn about my book and so forth. And so I paid a woman $10,000, a lot of money right. to strategize for me. She read all my articles, read my book. We sat down and she said, look, she goes, I have plan A and plan B. Plan A is the one I want you to go with. Plan B is what you're going to want to go with. And plan A is going to make you mad. But that's what I want you to go with. And I said, all right. You know, she goes, you want plan B first? And I said, no, I want just tell me straight. What is it? She goes, you're going to, and she used the full word in this conversation. She goes, you're going to effing fail if you continue to use the word heart in the context of leadership. And I was stunned. I said, well, did you cash the check? Um, <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> What, what she was trying to tell me was that the world isn't ready for this. The world isn't ready for um, the idea of bringing heart, care, love into work. And so I had a decision to make, which is change the title of my book, stop talking about it. She, she goes, call it killer engagement and you'll do great. But it wasn't honest. Right. And it wasn't honest because there's science that shows that the heart is actually influencing our choices and decisions, our emotions and feelings all of the time. Right. And if that's true, then what we need to do is to give people the positive emotions and experiences that we know will influence them to do the behaviors that we want them to do, which is to do excellent work, be highly productive and engaged and loyal and all those kinds of things. So what I want people to understand is that, you know, I've been tested. Like, you know, when somebody, you've paid that much money, you'd almost just think automatically I'm going to do whatever she said. I, you know, otherwise right. what did I get for my 10 grand, right? But what I got for my 10 grand was a real serious test. Like, are you going to own this or are you going to back off on it and come up with the, you know, the vanilla plan that might be appealing to more people? But I believe inevitably people are going to come to realize that there's truth in this and that this isn't such a, you know, soft idea after all. It's actually a very highly effective understanding of how to manage people. So I, I thought it was interesting from the first second I picked it up and you start reading into it and understanding the concept. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> so hey. that's what did you what did you end up did you, so did you end up sticking with her as the uh, marketing agent no i was all uh, it was interesting it was like a one and done thing yeah. she goes you're gonna have to pay me more to help you like implement the plan and we didn't have a plan that she was on board with so that was the end of that relationship you know? good for you though good for you sticking to your guns and, uh, and it was painful, painful thing because i've had to ride out this curve but i think you know, we're, we're, we're coming around now and people are beginning to realize that this is, this is truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. And how can people get a hold of you, Mark, if they, they want to have you do speaking events or whatnot, besides going to your website? Thank you. The book is called Lead from the Heart and uh, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. But if you Google Lead from the Heart or go on Amazon, it'll come right up. You can reach me at leadfromtheheart.com or markccrowley.com. I literally today just launched my new website. So um, that all roads lead to Rome. 
has my email, podcast, the book, obviously, um, and speaking stuff is all there. So thank you for asking. Yeah. And I can't give you enough accolades. Anybody who's in leadership or in a role that they could be in leadership needs to read this book. Um, I found it for, what was it, six years ago, maybe? I don't remember how many years ago. Sound right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, again, I've read it at least twice now. Um, probably need to read it more because you got to constantly remind yourself. So thank you very much, Mark, for writing such a book. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm very, very grateful, Dennis. It's been a joy to be with you. So thank you. Yep. And uh, again, we hope you have you on again. And uh, we definitely thank you for being on the show. Best to you. Yep. You too. Thanks, Mark.